Welcome back to the Journey Beyond Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jasmine Meehan, a retired Olympic wrestler. In this podcast, I talk to athletes at all stages of their journey with sport, with a particular focus on what's beyond their athletic life. Today, I'm really excited to have Amanda Ruler on the show. Amanda and I, we've been in the same extended network of people for a long time now, but we don't often get the chance to sit down and chat. Uh, Amanda, you're certainly someone I have kept tabs on through social media, and it's a bit hard to figure out how to introduce you because you have such an exciting and colorful life. So I'm just going to say what I know about you, and then we can fill in the blanks as we go. So you're from Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan proud, and yep. uh, you started out in track and field, right? That's right. At the University of Regina. Nice. And you completed your degree there as well? Yes. I got my bachelor's of kinesiology, majoring in kind of like exercise physiology type of stuff. And then you came to Calgary to pursue skeleton. Yeah, which was so much fun. Um, I got to live there and try out that sport, which not a lot of people do. I was first recruited to come there to do bobsled, which I kind of dabbled a little bit in, but I couldn't gain enough weight to be on some of the better teams. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try skeleton. I can be the weight I am at five feet. And uh, that seemed to take off. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Because if you don't know what Amanda looks like, she's like five foot, how, how tall? I'm literally five foot even like on the dot. Oh, wow. So I sometimes I ask like if you can put five one of my driver's license, they say no. So <laughs> That's amazing. But like very athletic, pure muscle. Um, and you went on to play football after that. You're extremely explosive. I, I can tell like sprinting is an important element of all the sports you've been involved in. And uh, you played for Team Canada. You also played with the LA Temptations. You won a car on the prices <laughs> right when you're in the US, which uh, I mean, you have a lot of accomplishments, but that to me is like pretty up there. That's pretty epic. Uh, you're also the game day host for the riders and I know you still work in the in the media hosting space quite a bit and mm -hmm. in different ways you've tried out for the WWE you are now an Olympic lifter and uh, trying to be the best as, as you can be in that sport so I'm interested to hear more about that and then the backdrop of all this is you have quite a big social media following um, so people have been able to follow your story and um, your sport career so when you have that kind of resume and I'm sure there's lots more that I've missed how do you actually identify if someone meets you on the street and says, hey, like, you know, who are you and what do you do? What's your response? Uh, well, I think I wear a lot of hats, but the common theme in a lot of the career options that I've taken on is sports. So I usually say like professional hype man for sports. So that encompasses all of my game day hosting, sports broadcasting. I do some speed training, which you have to be definitely excited to do that. So I am in sports on all levels, training sports broadcasting and competing as an athlete. So I'm basically a professional hype man athlete. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So you've been involved in a lot of different sports, as I just mentioned, most of them in your intro. Can you explain your sports journey a little bit and how you transition from one sport to the next? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I started off as a young child um, being involved in soccer as well as gymnastics. And when you're young, you're like, oh, I, I want to go out and play with friends. But I was also focus on my athletics career. And I made that an, an option for my life. I was like, I want to be a great athlete. I want to do something with this athletic career. Cause I knew, I noticed I was a little bit faster than most of the kids. I was a little bit stronger than most of the kids. So I got involved in um, track and field at the university of Regina. I was scouted to come sprint there. Cause even in high school, I was sprinting at the high school level. Um, 
breaking some track and field records at the city, for the city of Regina. And I, I really wanted to play soccer as well. So I even tried out for the soccer team. So I was playing soccer as well as being on the track team in my first season. And it was, it was quite overwhelming to be on both teams. And I ended up focusing my discipline in track and field for the rest of my athletic career because I was taking off. I, I broke some records in the 60 meter as well as uh, 300 meter in the four by two relay. And I got to the CIS level pretty high and sprinting was my jam. I'm five foot, like 120, but I was really fast. Still am very, very fast. I actually ran a four, seven, five, 40, which is super fast for a, a woman. Cause I was, it was laser time too. I got to race another football player. So that was legit time that I was very proud of my performance. So from there, I was recruited to come uh, compete for the Canadian bobsled team. So I took off to Calgary, kind of making it on my own and um, did the tryout for them. I didn't kind of make the weight category that they wanted. So it was kind of on the cusp of what they wanted to put me on some of the better teams. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try my best. And I, I kind of wasn't making it in that weight category as well. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try skeleton. So I tried skeleton um during that time as well just like a couple courses and i was like you know what i really like this i'm going to try this out as well so going into skeleton is crazy so you're going head first down an ice track as fast as you possibly can and you have to be mindful of the oscillations that are taking you through the track up sometimes i have flipped which was not the funnest but you really you learn quick um the sport very you learn the sport really fast when you're literally crashing and falling and failing in front of people watching you on the screen or um because you're like i never want to do that again so from there i was like what can i do next and i always watched the cfl with my parents growing up we we would go to every um saskatchewan rough rider game i loved football i said what, what football is there for girls can i play football somehow and at the time, there was nothing for women in Regina. So I actually got in my car and I drove to Los Angeles for an open tryout for the Legends Football League. And I remember my mom saying, don't go, <laughs> don't go to Los Angeles by yourself. But I did. I thought it was like a journey for myself to go do that. Because at the time, I was very lost. Um, at the, my mom's looking at me like, <laughs> um, I was very lost in my life because my dad had just passed away from brain cancer. I said, what's next for me? Cause I was competing for skeleton at the time. I got a call from my mom that said, come home. Like your dad's in a coma. I come home and it was within almost two weeks. He passed away. So I was like, what? I, I don't know if I want to go back to skeleton. What can I do next? So I was like, I really want to play football. And I noticed there was like an open tryout for legends football. Like, so I drove to Los Angeles and I did the 40 around the 40, like three times. Cause they didn't believe that they thought there was something wrong with their stopwatch. So I ran it three times and I ran like a four, seven, five, four, eight. And they were like, okay, hold on. You're five feet. They said there's, there's no girls in the league that are five feet. So they said they didn't want me to play. And I was like, there's no option for me to go home. Like I will not, not play. So I said, when are your practices? So I kept showing up at the practices and they let me practice until I made the roster. So that was a huge resilient move for me because I've never been cut from a sport before and to me I was like no I'm an athlete I will never be cut like you say no but I'm just going to show up anyway 
so from there I played for uh, the Los Angeles Temptations and then I moved over to the uh, Atlanta steam team, which is really cool. So I got to live in and around the Atlanta area, which was so much fun. So I got to play football there. From there, I got to try out for Team Canada. And again, they were just like, well, you played American football. I'm not sure if you can play um, on Team Canada. But I tried out anyway, and I was put on the practice roster. And I grinded my way to be kind of like a secondary starter. Um, moving up the ranks so I thought that was really cool because I think football is interesting in the way it teaches you about yourself it's more it teaches you to be resilient in a different way so because all the other sports I played were non-contact except for maybe soccer and um but that's very minimal so be getting me as a running back getting hit as hard as I can and me having to just stand up and just like breathe and get to the next play was a life lesson I don't think you'll learn in literally anything else because you just have to keep going like you have to push through your mental toughness your physical toughness to be able to play that game and that's what I found so beautiful about the sport is that it teaches you so many life lessons that I've been able to take on in my career and from there I ended up um, now doing Olympic lifting so I compete in Olympic lifting which is snatch and clean and jerk and I hold the Saskatchewan record for snatch and clean and jerk and what are your records? Yeah, so 70, uh, so I compete in 55 kilogram weight class. So 70 is my best snatch and 90 is my best clean and jerk. Wow, that's so strong. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel like you finally found your sport in Olympic lifting? Yes, I do. Because I think Olympic lifting is for shorter individuals. <laughs> and I was like, finally, I'm short and I'm strong. And I've always really enjoyed the Olympic lifting part of every sport I've been a part of we've done Olympic lifting in some form or fashion whether it be for just speed or if, when I tried out for bobsled we did a max power like a max clean and it was really cool because I was like I really like this movement like I'm able to do it well enough if I just got some technical training maybe I'd be good at this so I think I finally found something not that I didn't find anything before I love this sport and I love what it's about and I love the, I know it's very individual, but you gain a lot of cool friendships along the way, especially with teammates and coaches. And I think that's what's unique about the sport is like, you probably wouldn't think that's an element of it, but, and you learn to be resilient in a different way with this sport because it's so technical and every movement is going to be critiqued. Like every time you're doing something, it's like, you could do this or this better because there's just so many little, little things because you have to be patient under the bar. You have to have speed, explosiveness extension if you extend your back too much that could throw off your lift that could throw it out of the um, out of line alignment and you could not catch it in the snatch it is so challenging that I quite enjoy it what has been the hardest transition for you like having you know moved from like gymnastics and soccer to track to skeleton and bobsled and you know football <laughs> like is there is there one sport you wish you could have stayed in longer Oh, I wish I would have started Olympic lifting when I was a lot younger because I would have the movements a little um, down pat because a lot of time I just want to muscle it. Um, and you can see that throughout my movements, like I want a power snatch or power clean. So even if I think I started a lot long, uh, a lot younger, I would have better mobility in that aspect. I think I, I wish I would have started football when I was younger as well I wish there was more options for women when I was younger and what's unique is when I 
if I have a child and it happens to be a girl, I feel like there's going to be a lot more options if she wants to play football. Like there will be teams in the region. There will be teams in the area. Whereas I had nothing when I was a kid, like to play with the boys, but there was no league for ladies to be a part of or young girls at that time. And I wish I would have been in that a little bit longer, but I think football has a shelf life because there is many common injuries like um, concussions, which I did have a couple, as well as I had a torn meniscus at the end of my um, season, which I am over now. I, did, I definitely had surgery, so I'm, I'm good now. But it's just, I think a lot of injuries hold you back from football that might, you might not get in Olympic lifting because you're just going in one plane of motion, whereas football is all types of planes of motion. And it's, I think that's interesting in a way because you could get, there's more risk of injury in that aspect, but you just never know. You just never know. Everyone's so different, but I wish I would have stayed in football a little bit longer. So who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll make a comeback. No, I love that. I think one of the things I notice about like adult participation in sport is that people try lots of sports when they're younger and when they're kids and teenagers. And then as soon as they're adults, they like almost always completely stop playing sports or they certainly don't like try to be competitive in different sports. And so in your journey, you know, you've never stopped trying new things and clearly really enjoy a challenge. Yes. Um, to add on to that, my coach was actually, my Olympic lifting coach was, he's been Olympic lifting since birth. Like he was born into it. His dad did Olympic lifting. And which is really funny is because literally two days ago, he was mentioning all the sports that I've been in. And he said, I don't think I could have transitioned to another sport because he doesn't think that he could put all that time and energy like, like that he had put into just starting Olympic lifting to where he is now into something else. So he thought it was really interesting and cool that I had done that so many different times. And um, I never got that perspective from him until I mentioned that I was going to be talking about it with you. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's so cool that you transitioned to different sports. And I thought that was interesting take from him. Yeah, well, it is because I think so many athletes identify as like one thing, you know, like they are a football player or they are a wrestler or they're a gymnast and it's like kind of their sole identity. But I think what's cool about your story is you have like remade yourself in, in so many different spheres, which is absolutely a skill. Um, and I think it's a skill that people who are listening to this podcast are actually looking for because most of them have, you know, been dialed in on one sport for pretty much their entire life. And now they're trying to imagine how they go into the next thing. And so I'm wondering, like, what did you do to sort of like fall in love with each new thing? Like, what does that process look like for you? Going all in to every single new sport that I went to, I had to get into it and research it. I had to watch videos. I had to connect with other people. I think that's so huge is, is training with the athletes and bonding with them outside of the sport, because a lot of it, if you're in the sport and you're not connecting with people, you feel so out of place. Like when I first started playing soccer, like I wasn't very interested as a kid when I first started. So I, I didn't want to be there. I, I don't want to make friends. I don't want to be there. But as soon as you gain these friendships, you want to go to see your friends, like um, compete and get better because it's, it's such a powerful moment when you can see your friends succeed and you're there for the process. You're there for the journey. And I think that's what's really unique about sports in general is because you can fall in love with each sport in a different way. And I think, I think it would just be 
almost, I don't want to say a waste of my life if I didn't just explore every single avenue and everything out there. I know people say, you know, do what, do what you love, but I love trying new things. Like <laughs> I may suck at it. I might fall on my face. I might fail. But I've almost fallen in love with failure to the point where I don't care. Like I, I've failed in front of people so many times it does not bother me anymore. Like I do want to do well. Like I have this overwhelming nervousness to do well, but if I fail, I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's just keep going. Let's keep trying. Let's do something new. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. And falling in love with each and every sport has been a journey. There's definitely been times where I think I should quit, but that I let my feelings I let my feelings consume me for like 24 hours and then I stop. Like if we lose a football game, I'm like, okay, I'm only going to be mad about this for 24 hours. Then I'm going to move on to the next thing. So let yourself feel that. Don't ever think that you have to shove anything way down deep, but also know that you've come this far, but you haven't come this far to only come this far. So just keep going and keep grinding and keep persevering because I think I would be remiss if I had a life where I had, I achieved nothing and I am a huge goal setter. So every time I wake up it and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do it. Hold on. I got to achieve some goals today and I'm going to do this for not only for me, but like my family. And my dad is one of my hugest motivators for that is I wake up because he obviously can't like he is not here. So I have to live for him. So I turned my biggest amount of grief into overwhelming motivation. Yeah, that's so inspiring. And what I love about your approach is you're not afraid to put it out there. Like, look, I'm pursuing this new thing. I love this new thing. And I notice too often with like athletes who are transitioning out of high level sport is they're so scared to be new at something and be a novice and to fail at it. And I think they feel the pressure of their previous accomplishments. Like, oh, I was really good at track and field. And, you know, if you're national team or Olympic level in track and field, people are going to be holding you to this really high standard in, in something else. And that may or may not be true. I think sometimes it's true. People are expecting a lot out of you, but also like that shouldn't, that fear shouldn't like prevent you from trying new things. You don't have to be like Olympic at everything you do. Yeah, it is quite a, almost humbling when you start a new sport because I was at the top of my game in track. Everybody kind of knew who I was in, in my region or, or sometimes like when I went to nationals, like, oh, you're Amanda. But when you start a new sport, you are a nobody. Absolutely nobody, especially when you move to a new town, which I moved to Calgary. I was a nobody. When I moved to a new country, I had no friends, no family. But you have to make that work. You have to almost turn that into motivation because you have to become somebody. So that's what I've found to be my biggest motivation. I almost like starting over because you don't have a name yet. So even if you fail, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to keep trying until I make a name for myself because there's no expectations. Yeah. It sounds to me that you love the process of like improving and getting to that level of mastery, but like you know, once you're there, like, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to start that journey again, which is like a really cool thing. Although it seems like weightlifting might be your jam that you're just going <laughs> to stay there. Um, what's end game for you? Like, what does su success look like for you now? What I like about this question is because I had asked myself there, especially um, during the quarantine, I asked myself, what does success look like for me? And I thought to myself, like, my end goal is to be a high-level sports broadcaster. I want to do football. That is 
my love, my passion. I could do some Olympic games um, speaking because I think I would be so good at that as well. But I want to be a sports broadcaster, TSN, ESPN, NFL sideline reporter, CFL. I think I'm getting there by doing everything, every little thing I'm doing, like I'm doing even just streaming online videos of me interviewing people. And I think getting 1% better at your craft every day is super important. In my mind, I was like, if I hit that, am I successful? And then I thought, wait, plan A is to be an athlete. Plan A has always been to be a professional athlete. And I've never been in that spot where I thought that I'm good enough. Like I've achieved quite, quite a bit in my athletic career. But if you were to ask me, I'd be like, no, I haven't achieved anything yet. And my next goal is to get on Team Canada for Olympic weightlifting. And I'm, I'm close to making a standard. So for me, if I make that standard and go to Worlds, I feel like I feel like I might think that's enough. But you just never know because every time I hit these levels, even being on Team Canada Women's Worlds football team, we got silver. And to me, I was like, that's not good enough. We should have got gold. I hope that that's enough for me. Like, I hope that I find whatever I'm searching for because if I just become a sports broadcaster and don't achieve everything in my athletic career, which is plan A, and I go on to plan B without achieving that, I will feel unsuccessful. And I don't know why. And even though plan B is really admirable, like I, everyone's cheering for me to be a sports broadcaster and I really want to be that, I leave so much time to still work out and, and eat right and everything's focused into making a, another national team, another national team. Whereas sometimes like sports broadcasting might be on the back burner. I am working on it every day, but probably not as much time as plan A. I just hope that I find what I'm searching for in life through athletics that I could be happy with a, a career outside of it. Yeah. I mean, the way you describe it, it sounds to me like, you know, there might not be an end goal. Like it might just be the process and that you have fallen in love truly with the process. And I think that's actually a pretty healthy place to be. Um, unless, you know, you feel like there's a certain outcome that's going to just seal the deal and make you, you know, feel really satisfied. Do you, do you think there's an outcome that will do that? You know what my Olympics would be the goal, but it's like, when I go there, will I be satisfied for just going or would I, would I be unsatisfied for not reaching a medal? And that's my biggest fear is that when I remember when I was younger, my dad had asked me, what's, what's the greatest achievement of your life so far? And he was asking my entire family. And I said, I want to, I, mine hasn't happened yet because I want to go to the Olympics. And he said to me, his greatest accomplishment was that like I was born and for me, that was, that hit me so hard because like they couldn't have, my parents couldn't have kids right away. So his greatest accomplishment was having me. And I can't believe I said to him that my greatest accomplishment hasn't happened yet. Like, why couldn't I think of anything else to say? Like literally anything else to say to him in that moment. And that kind of haunts me a little bit because I feel like I haven't lived up to my expectation that I've told him. And I think that's why I still pursue Olympic dreams. And I don't know if I reach that, that I will be satisfied or if I'm just trying to fill like a gap that I had promised him in the beginning. Mm -hmm. We kind of talked about this, you and I before, about like, we're both lucky enough to know many Olympians and many Olympic medalists. And 
the one thing I feel like has always rung true for me is that like the metal just never makes the difference. Um, and like making the team never seems to make a difference. Like I, I have, I've talked to athletes before who said to me like, oh, well you're an Olympian. So your life must be so great because like, you know, you, you made the dream, so to speak. And then, and I, and I don't deny that it's, it's amazing thing to do. It certainly opens up certain doors and opportunities. Um, but then the, the goalposts always move, right? It's always like, well, then you're not a medalist, like you said, right? And it's like, you can almost always in the world that we live in, find a way to uh, compare or feel like you're somehow lesser than, right? So even if you win an Olympic gold medal, like, are you going to win a, another Olympic gold medal, right? There's so much more to life, I'm realizing, as I get to know people's stories. People wouldn't know that that is like a driving factor for you. Your vulnerability and you sharing the story, there are people who are going to hear that and be like, wow, I, that resonates. Of course. And that's why I like to share my story, especially I want to inspire. My biggest goal is I want to inspire women to, or even like young women athletes to get into sports because I think it's such a game changer for life. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you, you know, you kind of got at something with what you said there that I feel is a very common thing. And it's sort of like this deficit mentality that athletes have, because I think if you really think, you know, you're so awesome and you really believe that you you're amazing and have all this confidence and feel really complete. Like, I don't think a lot of athletes build their foundation from there. Like, I think a lot of them sort of say like, oh, if I get X or Y, like then I'll be complete. And it sort of serves as this motivator. But I think it's also, at least for me, that that's how it was in my sport career. I, I never really felt completely worthy and I was always hustling for more. And eventually, like, I felt like that kind of just broke me down because it's a really tiring place to always not be enough for, and it's one thing to not be enough for other people, but it's really a total other to not be enough for yourself. And I'm wondering what you think about that. I love that you mentioned that because I don't think I've ever been enough for myself to, to be perfectly honest, because I think that's why I've never been able to transition completely out of sports and just into normal life. Because as soon as my track career was over, I said, well, I'd never achieved the times that I wanted to. And when I say that, like, I definitely achieved great times, but I was like, I want to go faster. I want to go faster. So I was like, what other sport can I compete in that I could be competitive enough and feel good about my athletic career and feel like I've achieved something. But in my eyes, I have never been good enough. Even when I, I snatch like a PR to me, I was like, Oh, I could do 75 or I could do a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Every single time you achieve something, the bar gets set higher. And I've never been able to grab it and celebrate it and have a good moment with it because I just feel in like this great internal struggle with you could have done better. And I don't even know where that came with because I came from because I was so encouraged as a kid. But maybe it's it's because I'm trying to show everyone like I'm like I'm good enough, like praise me, maybe think of me as a great athlete. And I think even for women, like we're not seen as great athletes a lot of the time um, in general, because they're like, oh, you're only trying to be good enough for your gender. And I, I think that's so crazy because I can be as fast as the boys. I can be as strong as the boys. And I'm always trying to prove that. I think I'm always trying to prove something. So I transition out of one sport to the other, to the other. And I'm never able to be like, okay, well, maybe I can transition out and have just a normal life where I don't know, like I have a normal job and go to Home Depot on the Sunday. Like I, I could never do that. And I don't, 
I don't know when this will stop. And I think I kind of told you about that the other day. And that's been a real concern about for me, because if I have to stop eventually due to an injury or something else, I don't know what's going to happen. Don't know what I'll do. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the one thing I'll, I'll add, because I think this is a super common theme amongst athletes, like the way you're feeling is, A, I don't know if it's a bad thing, because it all obviously motivates you. You know, if you didn't feel this way, would you have had the success that you've had? I always wondered that about my career too, because I don't know if I would have pushed as hard if I didn't feel like I had to, like, it's very motivating to like hustle for your self-worth every day. And so there's, there's that piece. Um, I don't think it's a healthy framework, but I think it's a motivating framework. Um, and I think the other thing is that time really does change things because I remember feeling exactly how you're feeling when I was leaving wrestling. I was like, I'm never going to be as good at anything else. And how am I going to validate myself? Like I wasn't worried about other people. I'd kind of figured out at that point that like, it was just a way that I could come to accept myself was when I was thriving in sport. Um, but I think over time, your, your priorities and your values, they do shift more and different mm-hmm. things will become important to you. And I think it's so, it was so frustrating to me when I was transitioning out of sport because older athletes would tell me like, just give it time, like time heals all. And I hated that. <laughs> I hated that response because it's not really anything you can do with that, you know, but you just, the same way I think you've explored all these things in your life in sport and never been afraid to try stuff like that is totally going to serve you well, like in, in transitioning out of sport, because you're not afraid to try stuff. You're not afraid to be a beginner. And there's so many like great things that I think you'll bring into that next chapter. I think that's, that's so true. Like when you kind of put it, lay it down like that, I'm like, yes, I can. <laughs> I could probably move on to something else and, and make it full time for me to be a sports broadcaster or um, to, to lay some roots somewhere. Definitely. Maybe like, where am I going to live? Like, am I going to live in Regina for the rest of my life or um, in the States or wherever? But I, I want to almost like lay those roots. It is quite fearful for me because I'm like, if I do that, Will I have time to compete? Will I have time to still be in the things that I love? Because I am, what like my biggest goal is to be a big sports broadcaster, but the reason is because I love sports. I love competing. So it's, I, I think watching people do it and I'm not able to do it might be a little weird for me, but I mean, I guess I can take on a challenge. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing that says you have to stop competing. You know, I think there are, there are people who are lifelong competitors, you know, and you see them running marathons and they're like yeah. eight years old. And <laughs> I think that's awesome because, um, one of the questions I often get is like, you know, will my, my child be a wrestler? And, uh, that's a really frequent question. And I would say that the answer is like, no, like, I don't, I don't actually care if they wrestle. I don't even know if I care that much if they do sports, but I really want them to do something competitive because Mm -hmm. I think competition teaches you a lot about yourself. So even if it was competitive piano, like, I think I could live with that, even though I'd prefer it to be sports, um, (laughs) because competition really like molds your character. I think that's so true. Competition has taught me everything about who I am and who I'm meant to be because the more competitive I am and that that reigns true for every other aspect of my life like even just like a cooking competition like I'm super down or 
or if it's just like a lazy Sunday if we're playing um, bocce ball or whatever like even playing soccer we went to the park and played soccer like I was like pretty competitive with like I got to score a goal on you or something like that it really has has taken over my life in that aspect is that I'm pushing my limits because if you're not competitive in anything like I feel you're you're not getting better because every time you push yourself there's growth and if you're not growing then what's the purpose of life almost and that you, you when you often ask yourself I think the purpose of life is just growing and finding out who you are and pushing those limits yeah yeah no I agree with you so I want to jump back to just a few more specific questions about your sport experience, because I know you're explaining how, you know, you wanted to play football and like have access to being on a female team, but that just didn't even exist where you live, which is, mm-hmm. you know, frustrating for, for me as a, as a fellow female athlete. And so then you went and you played in the lingerie football league. And Mm -hmm. I think probably when you tell people that you played in that league, you probably get a whole range of responses from people. So I'm wondering, um, what, what do people say when you tell them you played in the LFL and are there any myths about the LFL that you want to debunk? That's um, an awesome question because I get so many questions like, what was it like? Was it just tag football? And it was full on tackle. And I, I think a lot of people thought, because it was labeled the Laundry Football League when it first came out, I believe in 2008. And then it was letter, uh, later labeled the Legends Football League because they got rid of kind of like the laundry wear. And it's just a sports bra and like bum huggers. And you're allowed to wear like socks. Like you're allowed to wear whatever you want. But I was actually competing in a sports bra and bum huggers for track and field. I don't think people realize that is I was, I was physically racing in that same outfit. So to me, the outfit was like, not a big deal whatsoever. And I thought it was really interesting because it was on TV. Like there was an outlet for me to kind of be on TV. And I thought that I was like a different athlete because every little sport that I was in, I was the outgoing one. Like I was always singing and dancing and I wanted to do every single interview with every media outlet. And every time it's like, well, let's do an interview with the team. They're like, ask Amanda. She has tons of stuff to say. I was almost the type that you put into a WWE setting because not only am I athletic, but I have mic skills, which I've developed over the time throughout my athletic career. And I always thought I was kind of out of place because a lot of athletes are shy and reserved. And some people say, just focus, stop dancing, talking stop stop being who you were and I hated that I was being pushed into this box like I couldn't be myself a lot of the time so it was really cool to be put into the Legends Football League because it was entertainment and football like when you scored a touchdown I was allowed to take my helmet off I was allowed to scream and yell and dance and like be who I was and it was like such a freeing aspect and a lot of the myths people thought that we didn't tackle full-on tackle in a lot less protective wear so if anything it was probably way worse football than the average person because as soon as I played team Canada we had full like pads and everything and I was like this is it oh I feel like way protected like I could tackle everybody (laughs) at this point and another myth is that they thought women never watched and every time after our games like we would do an autograph signing for the fans but I had little girls coming up to me being like Amanda like I just watched you and I want to be as fast as you when I grow up and that warmed my heart so much like that was it was made everything that I did worth it because I was able to touch like one young female athlete that was 
going into maybe she was 10 or 15 but she she maybe wanted to be me when she grew grew up and that was so inspiring in a way especially with the league a lot of us they thought we were models definitely not all of these women came from other sports um some even played like a little football in their area or they played baseball or or basketball or or um soccer they all came from different sports so it was competitive like i had mentioned before they said I was too short to play. These girls were taller. Like they were at least like whew, five, seven, five, eleven, and they were big and they were strong and they were fast. Like for, for once in my life, like I felt like I wasn't good enough to maybe play because these girls were true, true athletes. And I think that's a huge myth that people probably thought about the league. The only difference is that we were on TV and that maybe some football leagues in the States were not and they were fully clothed and fully padded that's the only difference and I hate that that maybe had to be a reason for football to be on tv but it was and I loved being a part of it because it was an introduction like in history when you say was there a league on tv of football I was part of that first football league on tv like when I'm 80 years old I can say that if there's ever women's true football on tv in the future I could be like I was part of the revolution that started that I was part of the first women to play on tv in like football for the Legends Football League, which is, they transitioned out of it, so it's named something else now. So I'm part of history. I'm part of that one league that started it all and maybe started a revolution for more women to play sports. And I think that um, it's too bad if people didn't see it as that, but I definitely did. And I actually got a lot of praise from a lot of football athletes because like that was no joke football. If you came to a game, you saw us hitting hard, running hard, cutting hard. It was just, it was amazing to watch. And we got a lot of praise from other football athletes, maybe here and there, a little bit of hate mail. That's totally fine. That comes with literally anything, but I had an overwhelming response, like great response from people. And I thought that was so unique because I think that a lot of people might think that I was hated on, especially maybe by women, but that's not the case. I saw a lot of women saying, great, good for you. Um, this is amazing because I'm, a, I'm an athlete. Like you see CrossFit athletes wearing a sports bra and short shorts. I don't think it's any different than at literally any other sports, beach volleyball, um, track and field runners. Um, they wear the same outfits. So I didn't, I didn't see a problem with it at all. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point that I don't think people pick up on is, is like, you know, you can say all the comments you want about like the sexualization of women in sport, but the reality is it's not confined to LFL, right? Like that's true across all sport. Um, so I think that's a a really interesting take. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, also really liked what you said to you about like you loving to be the person that takes the interviews because, uh, (laughs) One of the things that struck me is, do you know who Sean Evans is? He's like an interviewer on the YouTube series Hot Ones, where he interviews celebrities as they eat hot wings. Yes. Okay. So he's a great interviewer, right? Like he, he just asks really great questions that, you know, celebrities wouldn't often get. And uh, I heard him on a podcast saying about how out of, he's done 10 seasons of the show now. He's interviewed basically everyone. And, and he was asked, who's the hardest interview? And he responded that by far the worst people to interview are athletes, especially pro athletes, because uh, they're mostly known for what they do on the field. And so a lot of them don't necessarily 
articulate, I think, particularly well. But further to that, even if they can articulate well, it's rare to get like a truthful answer out of them because they have everything to lose by like saying something uh, negative and nothing to really gain from it. Whereas a celebrity, you know, they make their whole um, their whole fame by being entertaining. Whereas yeah. like an athlete makes it on the field. So what do you think about that? Because I know, A, you've been an athlete. So you know that sometimes there's things on the line. You don't want to be truthful. You don't want to say the wrong thing because you don't want to like hurt your teammates or, you know, say something too controversial. But you also have been on the other side of the mic where you're a sports broadcaster and you're asking people the tough questions. Yeah, that's a good question because I have been on both sides. And a lot of the time, I think for professional sports teams, you can't say a lot of stuff because you can't give away what's happening next week or what the plays are going to be. And you can't give away people that are hurt um, within your team because you might say something that the coach or the team or the league doesn't want everyone to know. So you have to keep your tongue. Um, you have to keep your mouth shut some of the time, but I've got a good response from athletes saying like, Oh, you're an athlete. If you know what it's like. So I try to like word stuff in a way that maybe brings them to that point where they're able to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I've even noticed interviewing athletes uh, who have retired is is way more interesting to me than interviewing athletes who are still active because I feel like they don't want to talk about the dark sides of the sport. They don't want to say what's going on that they wish would be different because they have so much to lose. Like everything is still on the line. And then, you know, you talk to them a few years after they retire and now all of a sudden they don't have those same constraints and they can bring some honesty about what it was like to actually be an athlete and all of the different constraints that happen. So like the politics and, you know, the team selection issues and there's so much going on in the background that is like not just the field of play, which is why when you watch sports documentaries that get into everything that's not on the field of play, people love it because they love to like peek behind the curtain. Yeah, no, I, I like that as well. Like, because there is a lot of times where they can't talk about the team selections and why they picked who they did, because that might be internal information. And that's hard to, to get out of an athlete, at, let alone get out of the coach or, or the club. So it's kind of cool to see, like, especially the there's a Michael Jordan documentary on now and seeing like behind the scenes, like what was really going on at that time, because I'm sure he couldn't say that live on TV at the time. So I, it was really cool to kind of interview some of those retired athletes, like you said, to hear more information. Yeah, absolutely. So one other thing I want to ask you about is your life as a social media influencer, because I've always been impressed by your following. And like I said earlier, you have over 100,000 followers on Instagram, and I see you doing brand deals with different companies, and you clearly have a talent for this. And I would say most Canadian athletes, like even Olympic medalists, struggle A, to amass a following, uh, and B, they have a hard time getting sponsorships. So I want to know a little bit more about how did you build your following? What is your brand, if you'd even call it that? And what mm -hmm. mistakes do you see athletes making in this space? I branded myself, and I even have it on my Instagram profile, like just so you know, my name is Amanda Ruler, athletic expert. So when I bring that to the table, you already know that my profile is going to be about athletics, um, a lot of like tips and tricks, 
like everything I bring from speed training to Olympic lifting to me coaching different athletes. And that's what you're going to see on my profile. I have fun along the way. I like to be humorous too. So there's, there's going to be some humor in there as well. So how I started my following is when I was in Calgary, they sat us down when I was on the bobsled team and they said, Hey, like social media, it's a cool thing. You're going to need it for brand sponsorships. And I think at the time Twitter had just come out. So like, you're going to have to utilize Twitter to gain sponsorships. So I was like, okay. So I downloaded Instagram, downloaded Twitter. I'm going to start my athletic journey. I started sharing posts and sharing stories about what I'm doing through my sport. And I was really open and honest with people throughout the whole process. I didn't just post a picture. I gave a lot of context of like what's going on in my life at the time. And I think that really resonates with a lot of people is that when you go about sharing your journey, it's not just always posting the highlight reels. I post things that might suck, like things that, that like a lift I didn't make or, or something that happened that day that was the worst because it inspires people and it motivates them. So with my page, it's going to be inspiring and motivating. And that's what I like to put out there. So whenever you're doing social media, make sure whatever you're putting out there invokes an emotion. It could be inspiration. It could be humor. It could be sadness. It could be happiness as well. Whatever you want to share, make sure that's shareable for other people. So even when I put out like a fun little clip of me just doing some acrobatics, people might want to share that to somebody else. Be like, oh, look at what she's doing now. I want to share this. Come check out her profile because I follow it and it inspires me and it motivates me to go to the gym and do some more activities because maybe I, I was feeling lazy today. So how I kind of built that is I started teaming up with a lot of people. So doing Instagram lives when it first came out, just teaming up with um, other individuals and having them interview on my profile or interview on their profile. And I think that's a lost art is collaboration, whether that be on a post or on Instagram lives or literally anywhere else, because you can reach somebody else's audience that maybe knew nothing about you. And when you do that, you're reaching all those people and you might get a couple of new followers, but those people are going to come to stay. And when I find people come to stay on my profile, I invest in them. So I don't focus on the followers I don't have. I invest in the people that I have following me right now. I message people. I DM them personally. I always comment back. Um, I have to make sure I set some time aside to comment on my photos, like thanks or maybe an emoji, but make sure they're being heard because it's so easy to keep somebody instead of get gain somebody new. And I think that's the best advice that I have for other people is I think what people are doing wrong is they're always looking to like, okay, well, I don't care if you follow me, I'm going to ask so-and-so over here to follow me and like try to like, like their photos and like all their stuff until they follow me back. Invest in who's following you right now, invest in who you are as a person and bring that across in an authentic way because people can really, sense who's being inauthentic these days, especially with brand sponsorships is I only take on deals that I really would use like for food or for clothing or for supplementation. I use those things. I would never suggest, I know people are going to hate me, but the fit tees, I would never suggest that, but it's because I would never, ever, ever use it. And if I did post that out there, I feel like you could sense that. So I think people love my genuine nature that I bring and my, my talkativeness 
is I go on my stories and I talk all the time. And through the talking, I actually get people DMing me all the time. Like, that's really cool. Or I really resonate with that. Or that's inspiring because it's that conversation. It's that engagement that you want from these people. So it, it could be so easy to put up a selfie. It's super easy. Don't get me wrong. But like at the end of the day, like if you do something that people care about and it's shareable and invokes emotion, that's what people are going to come to your profile for and stay. Huh, that's such good advice. And I, I totally agree about the authenticity piece because you look at some of the people who have like the most Instagram followers or just are really well liked, like someone like The Rock. He's just always talking into his, yeah. his Instagram. Like it's not high production value. Like he's just being real. And I think that that is something that uh, you're totally right. Like people can can tell the difference on on social media. I think what something people are doing wrong is they're maybe thinking that they have to put high production value into literally everything they do. It definitely is like putting quality stuff out there is great, but just taking a step back and be like, Hey guys, what's up? I'm on live. How are you guys doing today? Just connecting with people, maybe doing a Q and a or putting like a, just a clip out there of you doing like a snatch warm up. Like it doesn't have to be high production value. And I think people think you have to, Oh, I'm too lazy. I don't want to put a lot of effort into it. You definitely don't have to. You can if you want, but people are going to really resonate with something that's, if it's just good content, like if you put a good explanation, it's going to, it's going to be shareable and it's going to be fine. It's going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure you get this question a lot and I'm so sorry to ask it again, but because I did love The Price is Right so much as a kid, watched it every day of summer holidays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This is back in the, <laughs> in the Bob Barker days, but uh so the fact that you actually like you went on the show is so impressive, but then you actually won a car. It just blows my mind. So I'm sure you told the story a million times, but can you run us through what that day was like for you? And then what happened afterwards? Oh yeah. No, I love sharing this story because that was probably the highlight of my life <laughs> and it wasn't a sporting event, which is really funny, <laughs> but I'm super competitive. So. All right, so I ended up showing up at the studio at like 8.30 in the morning. And um, you actually have to wait in line for like two hours because you have to sign papers. You have to, they interview every single person that's in line for like 30 seconds, like 30 seconds you get tops. And they came up to me and they said, tell me about you. And I was like, well, I'm super Canadian. I play in the Legends Football League and I love Plinko. And then they, they uh, quizzed me. They're like, okay, well, what do you love about Plinko? What game would you play? Um, what would you win? I was like, I'd win every single game. And I was so bubbly and I was outgoing and I was using my hand gestures. I was like the athlete that everyone wished they interviewed. <laughs> so that right away, like they were writing something down and I could just be like, I'm going to be on this show. I can just tell. So we're still waiting in line, like two hours goes by because we're, we're continuously moving. We finally all get, all get in the studio, we get settled. So they're calling people up and they had one more to go. And I was like, oh, they didn't call me up. They didn't call me up. Last name up, Amanda Ruler, come on down. And I like exploded. I remember I ran up to the booth and I started flexing. He's like, what's your name? And I, I think I blacked out because I just started flexing. And he's like, okay then, because I finally watched the show. <laughs> he was asking me my name and I did not listen. And they had a couple items up there. So they had a laptop and some speakers that can be installed in your car. So I was the last one to go and everyone bid. And I was like, you guys, that's crazy over. So I'm going to bid a dollar. 
everyone was over and I won. <laughs> so I got to go up. With the classic dollar um, technique. I love it. I know. Like who would have, who would have thought that would pay off in the long run? I am that person. <laughs> so I, I get up on stage and I'm just like so excited and hyper and bubbly. And he's like, okay, so don't freak out. We're going to give you a new car if you win this game. And I was like, what? So they show me the car and I was like, Drew, I need this because I actually got in a car accident like a week ago before the show. And because a drunk driver hit me on my driver's side and totaled my car, like totaled my car. And so I didn't have a car and I, I didn't have anything to drive. So I was like, Drew, I actually need this. He's like, okay, let's win you this car. So we had to play this game high low. So you get these big like novelty dice and you get to roll one at a time to kind of guess the price of the car. So the first one I rolled a two, the first number was a two. I don't know how that happened. Magic. Um, the next one I rolled a one. They're like, hey, that's not it. Higher or lower? I'm like, well, obviously higher. And it was correct. And then I rolled a six and I was like, well, obviously lower. And then I rolled a one again. Like it was just like magic. It was just magic. And I had guessed like the correct number of the car and I won and I, I started like freaking out and I jump all over the place. Then I um, spin the wheel and I spun a 90. So I got to do the showcase showdown. <laughs> and uh, so I was like a sailboat and some earrings, I believe, and like a trip to San Diego. I have no idea. Plus I'm from Canada. So I don't know like US prices. And so I bid and I bid like over by like 200 bucks or something. And so I don't get that. But I ended up because um, I thought I was going to get the car. So I go back there and they're like, oh, you're Canadian. That's totally fine. We'll actually just write you a check. So, yes, because the prize tax in uh, California, I believe, is 27%. You could quote me otherwise if it's changed by now. 27% of the time. So they were going to take those taxes from me. Um, I was going to have to pay that to get my prize. So they just cut me a check and I got to keep all the money because in Canada, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but in Canada, if you win something from the States, especially in Saskatchewan, it's considered a gift. Mm -hmm. So I was able to keep all the money, which was awesome. That is amazing. That's probably better than getting the car because you could spend it on whatever you want and buy a different car. Mm -hmm. So is that what you did or did you just? Uh... That is exactly what I did. I ended up buying a Jeep a Patriot <laughs> from it because I had won a Honda. And uh, I'm not too fond of Hondas. So I actually bought a Jeep Patriot from it, which was amazing in itself. So it was just like the luck of the draw. And I, I consider myself to be quite a lucky person because I've had such a good, I'm lucky to have a good family and a good upbringing and um, lucky to be in the sports that I am. But that was true luck that day. <laughs> well, especially when you explain what the dice rolls were. Yeah. Like that you couldn't, you couldn't have really had better rolls than you did. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is so amazing. That's just such a cool story. Um, you know, what drives me crazy kind of about this like whole story is just like that I know someone who's gone on the prices right and has won a car, but I grew up my whole life in Canada and I don't know a single person who has won a car on roll up the rim. Really? I don't know either. Yeah. yeah. See, I think it's a fraud. Like I hope Tim Hortons <laughs> is not listening to this, but I have always felt that because like Canada is not that big of a place and you know, networks are of people are pretty small. Like you feel like one of us would know someone who's won a car mm -hmm. and apparently there's like 30 cars every year and I don't know anyone. I don't even know a friend of a friend of a friend who's won one. 
So I think it might be a giant hoax. I, I agree with you because winning a car is like one in like 300,000. So if you're listening to this and you have won a car, let me know so I can let this go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my very last question is, if you could put yourself in my shoes and ask yourself any question that maybe you don't get asked very often, is there anything you would ask? Oh, um, oh boy. <laughs> no, I have to think about this one. If you could ask me any question that I don't normally get asked, I think you kind of covered everything, but maybe like if you, I wish you would have asked me about my WWE tryout. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You tell about the WWE tryout. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking about that question. I was like, I think that would be cool because when you mentioned like transitioning out of sports, I thought that was such a cool segue because if I would have, I was asked to do like my WWE tryout because I was good on the microphone at like the Ryder Games. Somebody had seen me. So I was flown to Orlando to compete at the training center there. And so I show up and the first thing we had to do was cut a promo. So they brought a lot of athletes that already did wrestling, like W, like like indie wrestling style, and they brought some people that didn't like just had gymnastics or mic skills. So they ask everyone to cut a two minute promo. So everyone's cutting wrestling promos, but then it's my turn, and I get up there and I was like, I'm not gonna cut you a wrestling promo. I'm gonna cut you guys a real life promo because this is my real life. And then I started talking about my athletic journey and the transitions and, and the hardship and, and losing my father and then coming back and, and triumphing and like other sports and trying out for things and almost being cut and seeing dreams taken away. And it invoked a lot of emotion of people that were in the, the front rows were, were tearing up. And that was such a great promo for them to hear. And they, they were so excited. Like they were like, that's amazing. And I felt like I had nailed that day. So I felt like, this is where I was supposed to be because not only do I like sports, not only do I like competing, but I like speaking. And I think that's really rare for an athlete, like how we had talked about before. And I finally felt like I was in a room where I would be accepted for who I am fully. And I've never felt that in a sport. So we got to do kind of two a days, even we were even doing three a days, um, tumbling and doing gymnastics types of stuff. And we were learning how to take hits on the mats. They were called like bumps and doing flips and running the ropes every day and it and it was exhausting to say the least like it was exhausting and we didn't even get into like full matches yet and after i think it was like about a week and a half almost two weeks that i was there and being with these people and hearing their unique stories like where they came from was just amazing and um i we eventually finished the tryout and i think they only took like one person from that tryout and there was like almost 30 people there, but having that experience was unlike any other. I felt like I had finally found something that I was supposed to be part of because at the last day they said, does anyone else want to do anything to impress us? And I grabbed a microphone and I rapped super bass freestyle <laughs> on the microphone in front of everybody. And they were just so like, this girl's wild. Like she has to be part of this team. Although I didn't get picked in the long run, totally fine. But recently I was watching WrestleMania and somebody that I had done the tryout with, he recently was put onto WrestleMania, which is like a year, year and some later. So you just never know if they might call me up again. 
But I think that would have been a cool transition into something else for me. And it's too bad it didn't work out, but I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to work with these people because it was like one of those situations where you're able to be a character too. Like I really wanted to be a villain and I think I'm really nice. Like I'm really, I come across kind of nice, really nice, too sweet sometimes maybe. So I wanted to be a villain, like a heel. And I think that would have been fun to take on that character. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And honestly, I think you'd be really good at it because you're, you're like the right combination of athleticism and like character, like you said, like you, you're, you have to be extroverted, I think, to do that kind of role and be really good on the mic, like you said, like good speaker. So I don't know if there's an opportunity for you to try out again, but just like you didn't take no for an answer with football, like maybe you should go uh, knocking down their door again and just see because, you know, things, things change over time and maybe they have an opening. A hundred percent that they will always be looking for new, uh, new talent. And I know I'm on the radar, so I'm just going to keep pushing. Maybe I'll put some cool videos out there of me doing uh, some stunts. <laughs> okay. But what if, what if like, you know, you really want to make it in Olympic lifting, but what if the yeah. WWE was like, Amanda, come train with us now. Like you're on the team. Like, what would you do? Okay. That is an amazing question only because I would be so torn. Oh, Okay. I think I would do WWE because it would give me some of the fame I'm striving for within these sports. Cause I think a lot of the sports I do compete in, I'm looking for the notoriety. And I think if I was on WWE, it would give me the notoriety I've been kind of looking for because it has a big platform. Mm -hmm. Cause if, if I asked you like who won the Olympics <laughs> for Olympic lifting last cycle, you couldn't probably name them or, or, Probably China. I'm just going to guess. <laughs> Probably China, but they're really strong. Which is so funny because if you ever look at like a lot of Olympians, a lot of Olympians, when you're like, can you name them? You can't. Like in, in a lot of yeah. respected sports, like there's, oh, absolutely. The top, there's the top dogs that run away with it, like Michael Phelps. But I'm like, do you remember who won this event? No. Which is crazy to me. It's so crazy to me because like I like, I follow Olympians, I love them but they don't get the notoriety and respect that you probably get from like somebody that's on TV. Yeah. That's a really, if that great, makes sense. That's a totally great point. And I'm wondering like the psychology behind that, because, you know, earlier you said you want to live because you know, your dad can't, and you want to like really make a splash in life because he doesn't have that opportunity. Do you think that, you know, wanting to be involved in sports where, you know, you'll be remembered and like celebrated, is that something that you think comes from that? I think that that's very true because at the end of the day, I do want to be celebrated and remembered. I, I think that all, I'm not sure, but as an athlete myself, I would like to, like, I want to be remembered as somebody that was great. And if that looks like me competing in um, Olympic lifting or me competing at in WWE in some way, I want to be celebrated and remembered. Like if I leave this life and no one remembers who I am, I will be very sad I feel like and that's a huge goal of mine and I don't think I really like even realized that until I spoke it out loud is like I do want to be remembered and I'm sure everybody does but like I want to be remembered to the point where maybe somebody makes a t-shirt about me or a mug I don't know but I want my name to live on and I think that's what I'm trying to live is a legacy I think that totally nails it and 
you know, that's your mission. You know what I mean? It, it, and I think you've, you've tried to do it in, in different things and you've tried different things because there's a million different ways to have a legacy. Right. And so, uh, that's super cool. Uh, and, uh, you're cer certainly memorable to me and to a lot of other people. So keep doing what you do, girl. And it was so great having you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun.